Hello, I'm Dave, and welcome to the Stand Up Tragedy Podcast. Today we bring you the first of three recordings from our Tragic Love live event that took place at the Dog Star in Brixton on the 13th of February. I'm afraid we had an audio tragedy during Act One, and although we managed to salvage most of what took place, both David Lee Morgan and Debris Stevenson's sets have had moments lost from them. They still make sense, but if it feels like something is missing from them, then that is our fault and not theirs. That said, we only salvaged as much as we did thanks to the swift actions of the SUT team. So we're glad to be able to provide you most of what took place. Here's Act One of Tragic Love. Hello, everybody. Hello. Welcome to Stand Up Tragedy. My name's Dave and I'm your host. Uh, what we do at Stand Up Tragedy is we stand up and we do tragedy. Uh, our, our nights are um, themed now, monthly themes, and tonight's theme is tragic love. So we're going to have a variety of different kinds of performers getting up on stage and uh, doing something along the lines of tragic love. Uh, we are also a podcast as well as a live show, uh, and our podcast goes out weekly. And uh, we also have a fanzine, which uh, we have over there on our merch table, which you can buy for £2, which is written and pictorial, pictorial forms of tragedy. Um, and we also have right next to them um, some sort of pieces of paper for you to write your own tragic love letters. Uh, and really nicely, you get to put them in a chocolate box, uh, which means you have to eat a chocolate uh, to make room for them. So you get a chocolate if you give us your tragic love. Uh, but don't write anything on there that you don't want us to share with the public because we will take pictures and put them on the, in, in public. So be careful. But chocolate versus privacy. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'd certainly give my privacy up for a chocolate. Well, I mean, we're all on Facebook, aren't we? So we might as well. Uh, so anyway... <laughs> So Dan Savage from the, uh, from the Savage Love podcast, who is a sex and relationships advice kind of guy, uh, says about Valentine's Day that what you should do is you should fuck first before you go out for your meal. Uh, because when you go out for your meal, you're going to get drunk, you're going to eat lots of food. You might as well have the fun bit first rather than get grumpy over dinner and then it not really work out very well. So I'm kind of looking at tonight as a little bit like that in terms of Valentine's Day is tomorrow and we all, I'm sure whoever wants to have a nice time can have a nice time there. But tonight we'll get out the misery of love, right? So that tomorrow uh, we can enjoy Valentine's Day, which happens to be my, my 13 year anniversary, uh, for whatever that's worth. Uh, I would advise people not to start going out with someone on Valentine's Day because it will mean the rest of your life you won't get tables on your anniversary. So that's just my advice. Uh, wish I'd followed it all those years ago. Um, but yeah, so uh, there you go. I don't really know why I told you that. That's not really relevant to tragic love. Well, it might be. Who knows? Could all go wrong tomorrow. Um, so, so um, yeah. Uh, what we do here is we have catharsis. So there may be sad things. There may be tears. There may be... Hopefully there'll be laughs as well. And hopefully there'll be thoughts that are... are, are, are 
provoked by what happens, but uh, prepare yourself tonight for the idea that things may be tragic, but the whole point of tragedy originally was for people to come together and communally share um, ideas about sadness and uh, tragedy and falling and, and tragic flaws and all of those kind of things so that they could communally sort of work those issues through. So that's what we're doing tonight, communally working our issues through. Uh, and uh, I'm going to start that um, by, um, well, first of, all, yeah, first of all, I should say, Tragic Love is a theme that's throughout the arts. Uh, it's the obsession of songwriters and poets, playwrights and children's authors, comedians and reality TV shows, soap operas and Punch and Judy shows, and uh, that's the kind of variety that we like to embrace. Um, now, I'm going to be getting out my, my own... Uh, tragic love issues for this first kind of piece, I guess. I don't normally do spoken words, so I don't really know how to describe it, but that's what I'm going to do today. Uh, so I'm going to be talking about the song Diamonds by Rihanna and how I think it's a really, really sad song. Uh, and I'm going to explain that to you through the medium of words. Uh, the song is by Sia for Benny Blasco and Stargate, but Rihanna, I think, brings it alive uh, with her amazing delivery. And I do genuinely love this song, right? So I don't want people to think this is parody. This is not parody. I love the song. This is how I truly think it. This is what I truly think it's about, really. Uh, it's what it's about to me, anyway. Um, so I'm one of those people who takes lyrics seriously, as you're just about to discover, uh, maybe too seriously. Uh, so now I've got my excellent cue, which is, Harv, could you cue up that track? Shine bright like a diamond. Diamonds can't shine, they can only reflect the light from outside them. Find light in the beautiful sea. You can't have light in the sea, or at least the light inside the sea is very rare. Fire in the sea goes out. I choose to be happy. This is explicitly the tragedy of the song. She chooses to be happy, and in that moment, and ignore the impossibility of their love ever functioning properly. She has a perfect moment, but it will never be recaptured. Would it have been better to have never had it at all? You and I, you and I, we're like diamonds in the sky. There are no diamonds in the sky. That means they're like an impossible thing. This love is based on fantasy and not on reality. You're a shooting star, I see is a particularly sad line, as it means that he is so very far away, visible but impossibly distant. He will disappear soon, in a flash. A vision of ecstasy. The love they are feeling is heightened because they are on the drug ecstasy, otherwise known as Molly, as will be later said in the song. It is based on real feelings. The love they have is real. They do connect, but they are only seeing the brightest parts of it. All the darkness is obscured. They are idealizing themselves and each other. And so it's even sadder when she says that she only really feels alive when he's holding her. She only feels alive in the arms of an impossible love. And then she repeats, we're like diamonds in the sky. They are like something that is not real. There, there are no diamonds in the sky. There are stars. They sometimes look like diamonds. Maybe she is thinking of the stars. 
I knew that we'd become one right away. The thing is, we can't ever become one. Two humans will remain two humans no matter how hard they press against each other. We are always still trapped inside our own minds. Oh, right away. She wants to lose herself quickly. I think I could understand that. To want to disappear completely. But you never really can. At first sight, I felt the energy of the sun rays. And that's the thing. Stars look like diamonds in the sky, but stars are suns. And if you close your eyes, you are nowhere near the sun. You can't even look directly into the sun, but you can feel it. I saw the life inside your eyes. She saw the life inside his eyes, past tense. And whose life did she see? His, her own, a dream of a life she wishes she could live. We're like diamonds in the sky. We're an impossible thing. We're like diamonds in the sky. We're an impossible thing. We're like diamonds in the sky. We're an impossible thing. We're like diamonds in the sky. We're an impossible thing. We're like diamonds in the sky. We're an impossible thing. Thank you very much, everybody. So um, I'm going to in, in, introduce my first, uh, uh, my first guest, our first act tonight. And I'm really excited to be introducing Sarah Pascoe to provide a, the first dose of tragic love for you all tonight. Uh, you can find her at Sarah Pascoe, spelled S-A-R-A, on, uh, on Twitter. And yeah, you can find her in lots of places online doing comedy. Put your hands together for Sarah ex-boyfriend and then I'll tell you about my new boyfriend. Um, my ex-boyfriend, my old boyfriend, um, on uh, our first Valentine's Day together actually, he, um, he turned up at my house, I was cooking dinner with a bottle of champagne, which was nice, he bought this bottle of champagne, but um, he told me that it cost £30 and he was really annoyed that he couldn't get a cheaper one because they were all sold out because it was Valentine's Day. And because he'd made such a fuss about it, I just said, I'm not going to drink it. And he took me literally and um, then drank it on his own in another room <laughs> watching rugby, um, which <laughs> actually would have been fine, apart from the fact that he hates rugby. And he kept shouting out how bored he was. And um, so I finished his dinner and I took it into him and he just ate it in front of the rugby next to an empty bottle of champagne. And I thought... I'm not in love with you. And um, nine years later, we broke up. Uh, <laughs> and so now I'm free. But the problem is that now, so I've got a new boyfriend now. We've just moved in together in Lewisham. Um, I don't know if you've ever been there. Basically, if you kind of go east from here until you start getting scared, and um, then you've arrived. And um, the problem is because I've spent a decade, basically, with someone else, I... I've gone into this relationship far too, uh, I guess, vulnerably. I'm like a teenager again. I love him too much. And that has resulted in a lot of jealousy, which I've never experienced before. It's a very irrational thing. I really fetishize um, him. And I, like his mouth, for instance, I can't watch him eat. I ha have you ever wished you were a baguette? <laughs> 
and, um, and, and, and yeah, it's irrational. So jealousy happens in your body, not in your brain. So intellectually, and all of his previous relationships, all of his exes, they aren't infidelities. But physically, when I hear about them, I react like they are, and I want to kill them. And so he, the other day in the car, this is just a small story, he was telling me about how at university he once, he really fancied this girl, and one night he'd stayed up all night kissing her, and then gone straight to his lecture in the morning, and he didn't even realise he had glitter all over his face. <laughs> Great. And I have, to act, I have to act like that doesn't kill me, and I can have this kind of conversation with him. So I'm like, yeah, brilliant story. Yeah, oh, same thing happened to me once. Oh, I, I, I was up all night banging all these dudes, and I didn't go to sleep. I went straight to my lecture, and I didn't even realise I had all willies in my hair. Um, it's so embarrassing. Um, I, think, um, <laughs> I think a lot about Kim Jong-il, um, because I think, I, I know it's not very cool to say, but I have sympathy, because I think he, he, he had the personality of a woman in a new relationship. He lied about his age. He claimed he didn't go to the toilet. And um, I, really understand, um, I really understand thought crime. The idea of thought crime, that actually if you really love someone and they have the power to hurt you, like whether it's a person or your subjects, like how can you actually trust what's going on in their head? Um, so for instance, I, um, well, sometimes my partner, my John, he'll be, um, he'll be on Facebook, and I think this is, Facebook's very suspicious now, because um, he'll just shout out something like, oh, you didn't tell me that Tanya went to Thailand. And, but she did, and that's in 2009. So that I know how, back, how far back through his, her pictures he's gone. Um, and it's not fair, because it used to be that if a boy liked a lady and wanted to see a picture of her in a swimming costume, he would have to like, move into her area, open a branch of snappy snaps, <laughs> and, and, and his fingers crossed she'd come in with a film come September. And, and now it's too easy. You can go through 200 women in a night just looking at their pictures. It's insincere. Um, like Pervin's too easy and I get, I, get, I get paranoid about pornography now I, I know that pornography isn't infidelity it's thought crime but, um, so basically when, I, when I'm getting ready I'm, I'm always late for gigs and he is a comic as well and it really irritates him because he knows what time I'm supposed to be there so he's always like, trying to rush me out of the door because he doesn't understand that some trousers are liars and you have to try on all of your trousers um, to, to see which one. I don't know if it's a government conspiracy. I don't know if it's NASA. Um, but So he's trying to rush me out the door and all I'm thinking is he wants to watch pornography <laughs> before he leaves. And I don't know why he needs to watch pornography when I draw him such great vaginas. Um, now, um, stand-up tragedy... Maybe you can answer, I wonder about this. Hitler had a girlfriend, and they tell you that in GCSE history, but they just gloss over it like, oh yeah, and then Hitler had a girlfriend. Which means that not only did somebody fancy Hitler, but how did she clear that with her mates? Like, how did that conversation go? Like, oh, Ava, how's it going with Adolf? Um, <laughs> well, he does believe that some races are subhuman and should be exterminated, but he's so much fun in the mornings <laughs> and a wonderful painter. And, um, and I'm trying to think, I'm trying to work out whether Ava and Adolf is a happy ending, because technically they got married and spent the rest of their lives together because he poisoned her and then killed himself. And then that got me thinking about Sylvia Plath and Ted Hughes, um, which is obviously an unhappy ending, but we always sold them as like a really good love story. It's 60 
no, 63, 51 years this week since she committed suicide. And we're always like sold that as like, oh, it's one of the great love stories. And it's a terrible love story. The first time she saw him, she bit his cheek at a party. It was never going to go that well, but yet we're always told that we should be really passionate. And I was looking into Napoleon and Josephine. So that's another one we're told he wrote the most incredible love letters to her. Like the way he described love, they're all on the internet, so beautiful. And you're told that they're one of the... They always talked up together, but what no one ever mentions is he left her because she was barren and married somebody else. Now, that's an awful story. I worry about being barren all the time because um, <laughs> I'm 32 and I've not had a baby. Um, I once had a tapeworm, but it's not the same. Um, Marie Bonaparte. Now, Marie Bonaparte, uh, this is, I, I think, interesting. Now, she was Princess of France. She was Napoleon's great-grandniece. And she was obsessed with her clitoris because she thought it was too far away. <laughs> now, oh, what are you doing up there? She, uh, she thought it was too far away from the other stuff. And that's why she couldn't come during sex. And so she did, a, under a pseudonym, she did research on 250 women. And she found that actually um, women who can have orgasms from penetrative sex, that's because their clitoris is nearer to their vagina. Fascinating stuff. She had her vagina m removed and placed down, which didn't, yeah, exactly, but it didn't, didn't work. Um, so, and she had an affair with the Prime Minister of France. But the reason I'm telling you this, what I found interesting about it is they've never, so the, it tends to be, you know, in terms of like, me measurements, relations in the bodies, uh, this is not a very good sentence, how parts of the body tend to be tall people who have big hands, stuff like that. Um, with women who've got, small breasts, they tend to have a clitoris much closer to the other stuff, which answered a question, because they'd always been they'd always been very puzzled as to why women with small breasts had survived in evolution, because since we've been walking on two feet, um, women uh, started growing breasts to look like buttocks, to be more attractive to men, and the most attractive women are the ones with the bigger breasts. They never understood how have the small-breasted ones survived, and it's because we enjoy sex more, and we were all just running away having it in the bushes. Ha, 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 we survived. Um, um, I am, um, I am, um, as I say, I'm 32, and I think, hey, um, 32 is where they tell you the sexual peak is, and I used to not believe in it. I thought the sexual peak was a lie, like something they said to younger women to make you not be afraid of getting older. Like, oh, yes, you will have a moustache and a slow metabolism, but you'll also be the most sexual you've ever been. And um, now I am 32, and I really believe in it. I, I feel different in my body, I feel more confident, and I enjoy sex more. But nature has played a horrible trick, because men have their sexual peak when they're about 18. My boyfriend's my age, he's having a sexual slump. And, and, and this isn't fair, because an 18-year-old doesn't want to have sex with me any more than I want people to know that I've done that. Um, and and I, tell, I tell you why it's not fair. When I was a teenager, I didn't enjoy sex very much. I don't think I even really understood sex, yet I had it all of the time, like out of politeness, or to stay friends with someone, or say thanks for the lift. Like, it was so... It was so much easier to have sex with someone than have a conversation with them about not wanting to have sex with them or get the bus. And so, and men, in, as in my experience, men in their 30s, they find it very easy to say no to sex because of all of their confidence and self-assurance. And I just think that as a, soci as a society, we should erode that. And, and I've tried talking about it, both on stage and to his mum. And... Uh, <laughs> Nothing's helping. He did do a really sweet thing. I know this is a stand-up tragedy, but this was nice that he did. Um, he, he, a couple of weeks ago, he 
I wasn't really talking to him, and he'd waited for me after a gig. He, um, he spent all day changing the rules to Trivial Pursuit. He'd pr printed out a new booklet, and it was called now Strip Trivial Pursuit. And he said, oh, come on, it, we'll have a drink, we'll have a sexy time, it'll get us back on track. And I don't know if any of you have ever played Strip Trivial Pursuit. Oh, but what that is, is that's you on a chair with no clothes on, feeling fat, watching someone beat you at Trivial Pursuit. <laughs> it's not a sexy time. Uh, hey, I hope that you have a, a wonderful rest of the evening. It's um, such a pleasure to come and talk to you. Thanks so much. Bye. Brilliant. Round of applause for Sarah Pascoe, everybody. Okay. So what I like to do is now try to change the tone completely. So uh, we're going to now hear some spoken word from David Lee Morgan, who you can find at www.davidword.com. Uh, he's returning to our stage. We're a big fan of what he does. So put your hands together for David Lee Morgan, everybody! Thanks, it's great to be back here. Um, actually, it's great to be back in England. I've been on a tour of North America, not like Mick Jagger, it's more like couch surfing and doing features at spoken word clubs, but I did get around a lot, so it's good to be back. And come back here and ruin your night by completely changing the mood. Uh, something that was very funny and personable, and now I'm gonna do something horrible. Um, they have uh, this custom in Canada I've discovered where if you're doing something that could upset people, seriously upset them, <clears throat> that you raise your hand and say trigger warning beforehand, so which seems kind of, on the whole, kind of dumb to me for poetry or anything like that, but, but maybe I'll do that this time. This is, this, uh, this is about love, but it's also about hate and abuse. It's three poems. We lie in our bed and stare out at the turns, diving into the depths, rising with beaks, flashing silver in the sunlight. Birds feeding for our amusement, fish dying for our amusement. We hear the crows laugh and the bed shakes and the empty wine glasses rattle. I open my mouth to you and swallow the sea. You were my childhood sin, the priest I lied to, the nuns I defied. You in your white dress and holy communion smile, 10 years on and 200 miles before I would find you. Seven years old in the age of reason, swallowed us up like a Bible plague. How to corrupt what the young believe in and coin it into a power base. Cover the world with true religion, fill a young heart with guilt and shame. Stuff a young throat with catechism and light the fuse with grief and rage. Lock me up in a dark confessional, talking to a priest through a metal cage. Why do you have to know so much about me? Why do I have to believe your lies? Why did you put this beast inside me? Do you think you're safe? 200 miles away is the big city, only 200 miles away and I can be free. 200 million people in this big country and nobody knows me, nobody knows. Nobody hears the melodies bubbling up between my ears. Plato and Socrates, Hefner and Jack the Ripper over the mountains and across the trees, out of the desert and into the trees. Are you running with me, Jesus? You and your nuns and priests, you and your sin and sacrifice, you and your twisted love, you and your everything I don't, get, or don't believe in but can't get free of. Why am I a prisoner in my own heart? Then everything stopped. I was staring at a girl with dark hair and green eyes, and she was staring at me, staring into me. 
and all the secrets and lies, the dreams and ambition. We both of us could see them. We shivered in the cold morning light with the shock of recognition. Who are you? How do you know me? And if you know me, how can you love me? And I ran. I was afraid of you, of the way you knew me, the you and me, me and you. We were too close, too soon, too young, and I was too dumb to know what I was losing. I crossed mountains and rivers, oceans and continents. I sang on the street for nickels and dimes, played music in a thousand cities. Too late, your husband. Too late, your children. Too late, the lost time like an angry river, and I come sailing back to you, your demon lover, your love like a wound. I sink down into the stigmata of your lips. What else but evil could be such bliss? Yet, oh, what a miracle is the ocean of your eyes, your hot, wet skin, your tangled limbs, your storm-tossed cries. And I am the sailor of a million lost ships, drowning, drowning in your kiss. He's back, she tells me, and I believe her. I can almost see him there in the empty corner. He knows, she says. He knows me and he hates me. He knows what a dirty little slut I am. You're not. I am. Your grip is broken and he's out through the open window and we're running, crashing, diving through the streets and alleys, past a young girl on her knees, neon lights and moonlit trees, through the blood and gore of a mother and her daughter torn to pieces by a mountain stream, all the bloated white bodies floating down the green river and I can hear a child wailing or is it a siren screaming? Looking for business? Want a date? She was gagging for it. I deserve it. Shampoo and movie stars, opera house and grubby bars, and I can hear the cars buzzing around us like flies, crawling around us like cockroaches, the percussion of bones crunching under our feet. I look into a corpse's staring eyes, and I'm wishing I were deaf and blind, but I've got to get to him before he finds her. Closer, closer, and my heart gets colder, colder. Murder, murder, I am death and when he stumbles I'm on him like stink on sin my hands around his throat my fingers pressing into the windpipe into the air supply look at me look at me and die look at me look at me and he does and the eyes are mine my eyes my face my mouth my lips my tongue this is wrong I'm not a rapist I never raised my hand but I hear the blood pounding in my ears to the beat of a disco band and a terrible music roars and a harsh whisper sneers. I know exactly what you mean. It's only a magazine or maybe a topless peep show, a touch on a subway packed in close so nobody knows, a click of the mouse and anything goes, video linked to a video blowjob. What did you think? Are you really that dumb? Where do you guess those photos come from? You're not a monster. No, you never raised your hand. You never did the dance, but you played in the band. And then the music stops. I'm back in the room with you in my arms again. I love you so much, and I hate everything that was done to you. But now it's hatred mixed with shame. I know the monster's name. I close my eyes, for I can't bear to see you. He's back, you tell me. And I believe you. This poem is for you, only for you, I promise. I had to write it down, dig a hole in the sand and whisper it to the earth. Only the reeds will know the truth, I promise.
I can't get it out of my head that you were in your secret place, the one spot you knew you would be safe, that it was there he found you. I believe it was an angel, just as you remember, who licked away the blood from your legs, who led you from the field, who left you there on the sidewalk, not crying, who would listen. I can't get it out of my head how you'd run around all that morning yelling at your friends, I'm going to fuck you, because you knew it must mean something bad. Why else would he have threatened you with it? I can't get it out of my head that I've known you all my life and had no idea. No idea. I knew you were brave. I knew you could listen, could hear with your eyes. I knew you had spent your entire life reading the secrets written in broken hearts. I never knew why. You see, you, you, you get comedy one minute and uh, very depressing topics the next, but uh, that's, what, that's the way we like to do things here. Uh, and, uh, our next performer, or performers, in fact, this time, uh, is, well, we've got, Deb, we got Debris Stevenson, who's going to come on. So maybe you guys want to come in and start setting up, maybe, while I'm sort of introducing you. Again, it's, I know it's hard, isn't it, for good to go from one emotion to another, and you guys have got to perform, so. Uh, so it's Debris Stevenson, and what's your name, sorry? Emily Franklin. Emily Franklin, providing the musical support and accompaniment. Uh, they're on stage already. Uh, you can find uh, Debris at debrisstevenson.co.uk. Uh, put your hands together for the people who are on the stage. My one, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, for this one, with, that's cool for now. Well, we were planning on doing some dancing, but my heart has digestion problems at the moment. That was... How's everyone? You okay? That was absolutely awful. How were you? Yeah, I know. Um, I'm Debris. This is Emily. She's um, uh, my pet bear. Um, uh, and so we're going to do a piece first. If I sit on the floor, can you all see me? Just checking first. So um, people tell you to do a lot of things. The media, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your mum, your dad. Can you all do this? Someone who can't do it is like, woo, yeah, got conversion off clicking. This is also fine. I have a very loud microphone. So you understand, again with the clicking? Woo! Well done. We also accept the BSL version of applause. This, that is also fine. Did you want to add anything, Emily? <laughs> She's ready, bruv. That biting your nails gives you worms. That lining up for the swings when you're older than 13 makes you a chav, a drunk, or a paedophile. 
Don't eat anything you find in your belly button. Don't talk to the big boys bobbing by the monkey bars on Mondays. Let me ride down these commandments now. Let me ride down these commandments. I want to sacrifice a holy cow. Let me ride down these commandments. You have been. That's a belt, not a skirt. Knickers or shorts, confidence or cockiness. And have you offered our guest a drink? After all, you need to marry him now. Or you won't be happy or safe. Or a woman. Oi! Your tie is too long. Your socks are Caucasian. And your tongue is frigid. Didn't you know? Amongst women, it's play, not abuse. Stuff these memories down your front like odd socks till you're a new size. Till you're a new size. Till I'm a new size. I don't want to be in control anymore. I love my two children and I love my sister and I love Emily in her wonderful chef's trousers. 
Yeah, let's get a little, let's get a little bit of action going for those. I think you've got some booze there. Boo, don't like the trousers. No, I'm joking. Everyone loves your trousers. My trousers love, love everyone. Good. I'm wearing cycling shorts. I feel like yeah. I might end up kind of going like, like that, but that's, that's meant that's, to happen. No, everyone's fine with that. If I go this way. You okay. good? Yeah, I'm You sure? That's fine. <laughs> it's cool. Right. I... I want to live. In the space that lingers in between your teeth and your tongue. I want a taste of fun, like broken seesaws and a potato gun. I want to be the words that get caught in that cancerous mist around your lips. I want to stick in your clothes like evaporated vinegar from chips. I want a relationship that lives in the sky. that lives in the sky but not like a blimp or one that can fly I want a relationship that can fall a relationship that can skydive thrive off the upward thrust of air that's struggling to keep us alive I want to be barely upright like a crooked house on the seaside and then stare into your eyes like everyone else has died cause boy you don't know who you're messing with no the inside of the mirror where Alice is our new Eve and everyone's a white rabbit chasing beginner a world that's too young to tell the time that rambles to raves and makes hours thinner and refuses to get in the line a world that's only rushing to find your face through the music to see those flick book white lights oscillating like spheres of vanilla ice cream that just keep falling and it's a right now, and it's a right now, it's a right now. Play fighting instead of eating, talking instead of arguing, living in acne scars, birthmarks, not just liking muscles, but loving your arms, your skin instead of cars. It covers you and drives us wrinkling into the life we just got to live.
So we were going to do a poem about fucking crocodiles. Like... <laughs> but, yeah, it's... it's um, Emily lives in Brighton and I live in Nottingham. Um, I am the artistic director of a collective of 50 poets called the Mouthy Poets, named after myself, obviously, in Nottingham. And we'll be performing it at our show there on the 7th and 8th of March. So if you fancy a road trip, I've got a lot of um, uh, mattresses in my house. So, um, uh, no, but genuinely, if you just put Mouthy Poets in Twitter in Google, everywhere, like genuinely, it's an amazing group of young people of every ethnicity, every age, every ability in the world, and they're just trying to articulate what they want to say, um, um, and they're just an amazing bunch of people, so please look them up, and if you can ever come to Nottingham, come, if you just like a poem, I'm sure they'll be very happy, so um, uh, just before we leave, um, um, well actually, let me go, so Emily, what are you up to at the moment? Well, Deborah. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, then. well, actually, I'm playing at um, National Student Pride on uh, the 22nd of February, Ooh. which is, I think, at Westminster University. Well, but more to the point... You live near there. <laughs> yes, that's uh, you, specifically. Um, yeah, and just check me out on Facebook, like I know you do every, every evening. <laughs> it's all in the trousers. Um, um, <laughs> yeah, okay then. So you'll, all, you'll find us both through Mouthy Poets. Um, so me and Emily are trying to work more together even though we live far, really far away from each other. And one of the things, I'm, I'm really influenced by Dizzy Rascal. Absolutely love him, love the Boy in the Corner album. Just make a noise if you know what that means, all of those things I said. <laughs> so me and Emily are working on doing a whole remake of Boy in the Corner. Um, the whole album, because I basically know all of Dizzy Rascal's lyrics. So we were in the South Bank today getting reoccurringly kicked out of various areas due to, it's like the whole thing is a sound system and Emily was just reverberating around the whole building. They're just chasing us everywhere. <laughs> the way um, a security guard came up to us, he was like... So um, uh, if you want to do this, you probably uh, need to go and um, uh, go over there. Because I don't really like it, but some people don't like it. I I re we really felt like we were dealing drugs in the South Bank. But um, anyway, so yeah, this is just a little taster of Fix Up Look Shop. These words aren't real words, but it's really fine. <laughs> so literally, that was something that we just did. I mean, most of the things we do are things we're like, should we just try doing a poem about fucking crocodiles? Yeah, that's fine. Just go. So yeah, I'm Debris Stevenson. This is Emily Franklin. We are part of the Mouthy Poets. We both had to leave early because we're going like three hours away from here. I'm really sorry. We try not to do that, but we love you and thank you for listening.
And thank you for lovely everyone. <laughs> Well, there we go. I think another round of applause for uh, Debris and uh, God, Emily. Yes, Emily. There we go. Yeah. You, you know, when you start host, hosting a night, you really find out how bad you are at remembering names and also how bad you are at pronouncing names. Doing all right tonight. So there we go. For the pronunciation, but not for the memory. Anyway, so yes, we're going to have a break now. Um, uh, while, while we're having that break, it's a good time to share your tragedy with the, uh, the tragic love letters over by the bar. And as I said, you get a chocolate for every love letter you write. So, well, I mean, the chocolates, don't, they, will, they will run out at some point. But if you get in quick, you can get quite a lot of chocolates. Um, so, uh, so the person who produces and edits are... Uh, our fanzine is Liam Wilday, uh, who you can find at liamwilday.com. He normally does live art with us, but he can't make it tonight, which is a tragedy. So appropriate for the night. Um, but you should check out the fanzines. There's not just this month's, but there's the last two months as well. Uh, all of them are £2. And uh, thanks very much. See you in 15 minutes for some more tragedy. Dry your eyes, it's time. Make friends with some tragedy by friending us on Facebook or following us on Twitter where we're at Stand Up For Tragedy. Our website is www.standuptragedy.co.uk And we're back with another live night of tragic variety on Friday the 21st of March where we'll be exploring tragic heroes at the Hackney Attic. Share your tragedies with us on Twitter using the hashtag Tragic Heroes. And now, the tragedy is over. This podcast was produced by Stephen Harvey with music from Samuel Wilkinson and George Buckley.